Hello, everybody. It's the top of the show, so you know what that means. That's right. It's time to remind you about Fangoria's Kick-Ass Magazine. Even before your beloved KingCast host called Fangoria's Podcast Network home, we've proudly held Fango subscriptions ever since they relaunched the magazine as a premier, highly collectible publication that delivers one issue every quarter right to your very own doorstep. Each single issue of Fangoria explores every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way. The high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you will need to subscribe. And to do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your entire order. Now, with all of that said... On with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Sometimes, that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounded a little bit more like a sling blade than... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah, that was, that, that was more sling. <laughs> and I'm Scott Wampler, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> and we are your hosts. We've, If you couldn't tell, we had been having a little bit of a gravelly voice discussion before we started recording. But... Today's topic, Stephen King's creepiest short story, The Jaunt. Today's guest is a wildly funny actor, writer, author, comedian, and now podcaster. You'll know him from his many appearances on the big and small screen, from Ratatouille to Young Adult, an AP bio to a billion other things that would take all day to list off. Like, seriously, dude, your your IMDb credits list is 227 credits long. Uh, maybe you've also checked out his fantastic cinephile memoir, Silver Screen Fiend, or his podcast, Did You Get My Text, which he co-hosts with his wife, Meredith Salinger. We knew if we were going to follow Stephen King himself up with anybody, it would probably be a good idea to bring in somebody who King himself has name-checked in print, which he absolutely did, and we'll get into that in a second. He's also on his Who's Ready to Laugh tour, so check out PattonOswalt.com and see if he's coming to a town near you. You know him, you love him. Please welcome Mr. Patton Oswalt to the KingCast stage. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Very much so. We appreciate it. And the listeners are going to appreciate it. As I was telling you before the show, you are are a much demanded guest. Oh, man. Well, that is beyond flattering. And tell them thank you. I would say almost sometimes hysterically demanded uh, <laughs> listenership. Yeah, I right. think more people right. demanded you than Stephen King himself, actually, <laughs> yeah, which is which is interesting. Did you yeah. tell? Did you tell Stephen? Because that would be so cool. Like let him know that <laughs> like I, I was like more popular than him on like a podcast that's about him. Did you tell mm. him? What did he say? Was he mad? Uh, oh, he yeah, was he's furious. I bet yeah, he was like so mad. jealous. He was like really jealous, right? Yeah. Okay. He cool. said that he said, "Tell that motherfucker the next time his name <laughs> appears in one of my books, it's not going to be so positive." That's what he said. That, that was an exact quote. Yeah. Ooh, nice. Good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, okay. okay. Great. I look forward. You to know you what? I, look, right now, my mind is reeling, trying to figure out what Stephen King would do. Like, if he wanted to have me in the book as something horrible, what would he have me doing? Mm. Ooh, oh, nice. oh, it's it's gonna be some sort of kid toucher. I mean, that's like his his go to. Oh, <laughs> Patton Oswalt is the library policeman too. <laughs> 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 anyway, 
As long as he doesn't have me <laughs> jamming my hand on a garbage disposal while wearing women's panties. I'm yeah. Fine. That happened to me with Koontz one time. It was very. Oh, we talked very briefly before the show. You, you've you broken your foot. I'm curious how you managed to do that. I, well, I didn't manage it at all. It was it was actually very easy. First, I turned 53, <laughs> and then I slipped <laughs> off a curb and landed wrong. That's all I had to do. In wow. my 20s, I could walk into airplane propellers and be fine. And apparently now <laughs> that I'm 53, if a pine cone falls near me, my spine collapses. <laughs> so did it just shatter the ankle? Yeah, ankle and foot. Shattered. It's such a bummer. No man, so frustrating. What were you on your way to do when this happened? I had just finished filming an episode of a TV show, and I was on my way home to go home (laughs) and pack to fly to Austin the next day and do two shows at the Paramount, and then a show in Dallas. All that had to get rerouted. All had to get postponed. It was just a absolute pain in the ass. Holy lord! Yeah. Was the worst at the end of a work day too. That's particularly exactly. insulting. Like I finished. It's time to go <laughs> home, and I, I finished early, like it was in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, good. I'm gonna go do some stuff and get all this stuff done. Nope. <laughs> I, we have other plans for you. Oh, it's well, the, worst. the good news is that while you are unable to be on the move, we can keep you still for an hour, so we can <laughs> exactly. we can bother you with Stephen Queen Stephen King questions. So this is did you, this say, is perfect did you all say Stephen Queen? I almost said <laughs> Oh my god. There you go. I'm living the much, much lighter, more benign version of him getting hit by the van when you think about so, it. So yeah, so you're gonna appreciate Dreamcatcher on a whole nother level now. Oh dear God. And misery I mean, for that matter. And then isn't there a scene that there's a near the end of the Dark Tower, he appears and gets hit again, or d- doesn't he write his accident into one of his books? I've uh, I mean he does, yeah. Dark Tower spoilers. Dark Tower. Um, oh, shoot. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. People are real sensitive about end, that one. What if at the, the end of the Dark Tower, he just has the man in black get run over by the guy in the van? <laughs> 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 and that's how it ends. That'd be awesome. It probably would have led to uh, a little bit more for forgiveness for the guy that hit him. Not that uh, uh, yeah, I, I uh, know that he deserved it, but. You know, that's a whole yeah. other really yeah, random. Let's not get down thing. that. Yeah, why, why, why am I bringing this up? It's so painful and horrible. <laughs> we almost lost a national treasure for God's sakes. Yeah. I mean, do I you was, remember, remember where you I were? Like, I don't remember where I was, but I remember in the weeks after I and a lot of my friends were saying, will he be able to write a novel again? Will he be able to? And then, you know, in the book on writing, he goes into what it took to be yeah. able to like sit up and start writing again. But you know, he had such a nice, steady pace for himself that I think really kind of sustained him. That to take that away from someone, that must have been really psychically awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you know, b- being one of his fans, there was that. So wait, no more Stephen King book? Is he gonna? You know, so yeah. when he started writing again, there was that real feeling of, oh, good, okay, I'm so, <laughs> totally happy for him. But then that selfish kind of like, okay, good, more books. Right. Thank God. Oh, yeah, for not, sure. Yeah, I, I remember feeling both selfish and then guilty instantly because my first yes. thought upon reading that was like, it was it wasn't like, oh, poor guy. It was like, oh fuck, I'll never know what happens at the end of the Dark Tower. Yup. <laughs> yep. and, and then I was then I instantly was like, you fucking asshole. This is a human being who I know who's it was nearly like, died and is now laying in probably absolute yeah. misery right now. But, but then a, yeah. you go back to 
being selfish about it again because you're like, yeah, but it's the fucking dark. It's a testament to the quality of his work and how addictive it is that we we did have that bad thought, that selfish thought. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, it's like it's like a lot of times when people bitch about how later uh, seasons of The Simpsons aren't as good as the early ones. It's like, well, but that's a testament to how good the quality of that show was. Mm. You're the guys who set the bar that high. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you said it. You were you did that amazing amount of work before we we dive into your actual stephen king origin story here i want to talk about your name popping up in the institute which i know (laughs) i know you freaked out about that i remember seeing the tweets the tweets about it was that a a complete surprise was that something that like you got a heads up and about in in advance or were you just reading the new stephen king book and suddenly you read your name i got my copy of the book and then before i could start reading it other people online because i guess when when a when a stephen king book comes out there are people like i get it and i'll read it in a start in a couple days there's people who get it like it is probably still warm <laughs> from the you know presses and they start <laughs> right. reading it so that morning people were tweeting at me like hey you're here's your name you're in the new stephen king book i was like what so that that like felt amazing to me people Can- do do that they run new oh. stephen king books like like a speed run on a video game sort of thing. Yes. It's like, I beat really it in do. fucking 24 hours. And you're like, well, yeah, dude, it, are you even going? savoring it at that exactly. point? <laughs> like, mate, just, it, it, he writes in this very fun, folksy, part of the fun is the meandering or the little throwaway lines in it that it's not that you have to, that, that no one's giving you any, um, you know, speed bonuses for this. Just right. have a book, enjoy it. So, you know, this all kind of ties into your Stephen King origin story, because I, I seem to remember in that tweet that you you put out uh, that you mentioned you read him very young. Was it 10? He said, like, I've been waiting for this <clears throat> since I was 10 years old or something. I first I can't remember the specific Stephen King that I read. It was, again, a group of friends that I hung out with and we all would be, oh, there's this thing or this. So. Stephen King just kind of fell into our radar. You got to also remember in the 80s, those books were so well. There should be an episode just about um, who chose the font and the cover graphics for those Stephen King paperbacks. <laughs> they were right. just, they were so grabbable. Yeah, they were know, magnetic, absolutely. And, and that very specific font, it was just, you know, kind of carnival uh, carnival house terror feel to it of oh that'll be you know it, it it just it promised thrills so even if you didn't quite understand what it was about and also thank god it was the 80s which is the golden age of benignly neglectful parenting they were just like i'm just glad he's reading like there, there wasn't any there was no such thing as like the parent resource center of what are your kids reading they're just like oh i'm just so happy they're reading i think the first stephen king that I ever read was the collection Night Shift because it was short mm. stories. Because I knew of Stephen King because there were movies starting to be made. There was the Salem's Lot TV series and you know the movie Carrie, which you know I'd see pictures from. I, I wasn't able to see the thing. God damn it! But then, uh, yeah, I, I remember Night Shift was my introduction. But then I, that was young. When I was like ten or eleven, I read The Stand. Wouldn't the book would be about as big as you at that age, probably. Oh but, my god! Uh, Those were yeah. also Stephen King books were great if you wanted to make um do animation, flip animation in the pages. They, <laughs> they gave like I had a copy of the Sand and I lost it, but I did a whole space opera in the margins of like flip cartoons. My pen you can book. do Lawrence of Arabia flip book style. Yeah, you really could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, amazing. 
Where did you get your books? Was it something where it was like at the library? Did your parents have them? You know, what was you the... You learned in the library. I don't know where I got them. I either borrowed them from friends, because my copy of The Stand didn't have a cover on it. Um, so I probably Sounds like a bootleg copy to, to me, man. Yeah. Well, it was, no, it was like it had been passed around <laughs> right. by friends. And also they were, a lot of the protagonists were like little kids. So yeah. you, you were kind of pulled into it more that way as well. Right. Yeah. We, we've had that kind of discussion. <clears throat> we had uh, a guest on, uh, who goes by the name of Gory Corey. And she's like this, uh, she was in a senior in high school, I think when she came on the show and we wanted to have like, what, what is this next generation of, of, uh, oh. a horror geek, you know, think about Stephen King. Is it just like for, you know, old fogies or he's it. And she was like, no, he's probably more popular now than, than he was when you were growing up. I'm like, well, one doubtful, uh, he was doing American Express commercials, then, but she was saying between the new it and uh, Stranger Things, and is you know that that's such obviously yeah. a, a love letter to 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 King stuff. According to our, you know her and her friend group and everything that she's seeing, uh, you know from I don't know all the youth that she <laughs> she follows. She's got her finger on the pulse in a way yeah. I don't. Uh, but she was saying that he's he's that popular, and and that kind of led to a, a conversation just about you know you look at some of his best stuff, the body or like it, you know, it's like, uh, he, he writes kids so well, even the dark tower, Jake is, is, you know, was very much kind of my, uh, uh, avatar within that when I was reading, reading that at, you know, at a young age. So, uh, yeah. So I think that that might be kind of the secret to his continual popularities. He's always going to be able to grab a younger reader in a way that, you know, uh, maybe a lot of his contemporaries wouldn't be able to do. You'd have to grow up to kind of get into it. Yeah, he he's he's definitely remembered what it's like to be young and to view the world young. And, and he right. also really has a heart for the misfits and the outcasts and, and the people that are one of the big things. One of the first things that you should deal with in adolescence beyond the hormones and the acne and the is you deal with loneliness or the potential of loneliness if you somehow are not socialized or don't know how to connect with people, that can be a scary thing for a young kid. And he really, really remembered that and still remembers that. And I think that's why a lot of his stuff kind of reaches across generations, you know, right. especially think of that, how alienated a lot of kids are now because of the internet, because of social media. And when you're growing up in the seventies and eighties, if you, if you screwed up socially, you would get made fun of at school or something. Now, if you screw up, and it's online, you're, you're like forever tagged and that's how you are in the world forever. Right. So that's kind right. of the pressure that we can't even imagine So to, to see someone who gets that and, and kind of understands that really helps to kind of sort of secure you in the world and care about these characters when things start to go wrong. Yeah, it's also I'm, interesting that you mentioned the, the covers and the, you know, the font and all that, mm -hmm. this has been like a, I don't know, an oft repeated thing when we're having the Stephen King origin story conversation with people is that so many people were like, well, my mom or my dad were reading the books and, uh, and I saw that cover and I was sold, you know, it's a monkey with symbols. What am I going to do? Not read this yeah. fucking thing? I feel like you might have a, an opinion about this because I think it also mirrors what has gone on with movie posters over the years over the years versus like, <laughs> you know, Drew Struzan illustrating posters. And now it's right. just like, it's orange and it's teal and there's nine heads on it. And that's it. We've been trained like attack dogs. Now white background, big red letters. It's a comedy orange and teal and everything slanted. It's an action movie. 
from a distance, before you can read the lettering, you know what the movie is. And a lot of times in the with the white background and the red lettering, um, it, the title of the movie is the pitch for the film. Liar, liar. Big Mama's house. Like, okay, it's a guy who like we're a big like that. You, you almost like <laughs> they've reduced everything. There's no mystery anymore, and and you are you're conditioned the same way a consumer is in like a cereal aisle. Like these are the adult cereals. Look at the colors. These are the kids cereals. Look at those colors. You just know where to put your eyes. And the kids cereals are at kids eye level, and the adult cereals are at adult eye level, and that's how you do it. This is off topic, but just incidentally, how do you feel about? the state of movie making today what's being put in the theaters what's being rewarded versus what's being ignored all that yeah i mean i'm torn because i think the movie industry right now feels pretty dire in terms of what is being greenlit and what is being kind of tossed off but now that i have screen i have streaming channels like arrow and shutter and even stuff like hulu and even apple tv there are film. I mean, filmmakers. Creativity always finds a way. People forget that during the heyday of the late '60s, early '70s, you know, those all those movies were made under massive duress because the studios were crumbling, and it felt like movies were going to end permanently. And so, putting out a movie like Bonnie and Clyde or Easy Rider felt was such a prayer, was such a you know, I'm doing this because mm-hmm. I love movies. And there are people out there that so clearly still love making movies and we'll do it you know when i was doing comedy in the late 80s suddenly the club scene collapsed and a lot of comedians were just doing it for the easy money and they're like well if the clubs aren't here then screw it i'll go do something else and there were other people like me and my friends were like i'll go do it in a laundromat i don't care i actually just (laughs) like doing comedy so there are people that are saying oh if i gotta make my movie and just release it on Vimeo or release it on stream. I don't care. I just like the process of making movies. I don't care about a giant red carpet premiere and, you know, Klieg lights. Who gives a shit? I want to make a movie. That's what I like doing. And I'll find a way. So for all the direness that's happening, the direness has always been there. The, the, Oh my God, it's all almost over has always been there. And then there's always been people that are going, Oh no, I'll go find a way to make this. And they always do amazing work. There's, there's a family called, they're called the Adams family. It's um, uh, Toby Poser and this guy, John Adams and their daughters, Zoe. And I'm forgetting the other daughter's name and they make movies and they make them themselves. I think up in upstate New York, there's a new one out called Hellbender. They make yeah. amazing horror movies for no money. And literally the, the end credits. Are I hilarious. just saw that the other night. Yeah. The end credits are like eight people. Cause they do everything on their own movies. Yeah. And then they just distribute nuts. it themselves. And the movies are gorgeous. They look great. Because people actually care about making the movie and they're excited about it. And there's nothing you cannot, no special effect can match um, the excitement of someone making a film. You just can't match that. It's weirdly why a movie like Plan 9 from Outer Space has this wonderful second life. Because as inept and bad as it is, the joy of making that movie comes through on the screen. And that cannot, you can't CGI that. There was some talk years ago about you being in a sequel to troll two, which I, I remember. Thi- I, yeah. You don't remember this? No. Yeah. 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 There was oh like, Lord, this would have been around the time that best worst movie came out. Are right. you familiar with that one? Oh yeah. I saw that documentary. It was amazing. And I, I remember hearing that there was like a troll quote unquote three, cause there's technically a troll three in production. 
well, and that you were going to be in it or, or something. And it was one. well, good. It sounded like a bad idea from the very beginning. It was well, like because, you can't capture that again. No, that's, it, that's it, like lightning in a bottle. It feels like they're going to try to to. Um, it felt like at the time they were probably. And, and by the way, look, I also I have a lot of um, wiggle room in my heart for people that are trying to jump on a bandwagon if it means their movie gets made because that's how a lot of movies. Yeah, sure. Made. I mean, Easy Rider was like. Hey, motorcycle movies are making money. Go make one. And they did. Now, they managed to smuggle a piece of art into it. But it started off as a, well, if this will get my movie made, I'll do it. You know, it's fine. They, they didn't care. It was just like, I just want to make a movie. So maybe there's something kind of cool about people going, well, I'll, I mean, if you saw the, the the last year's Wrong Turn reboot, it's a brilliant movie. And they're just like, well, this franchise will help us get our movie made. But we have way different ideas of what we want to do here in terms of movie making and storytelling. We're just going to use the fact that it's a uh, franchise reboot to get it done. And they managed to smuggle a brilliant movie in. I had no idea they even did a new, uh, another wrong turn. It came out last year. It, it, it made no noise and it is not what you think it's going to be. You have to see it. It's genius. Okay. The way they twist, the way they upset every trope about those kind of movies <laughs> in such a brilliant way it's so well done and it's one of those things where oh this filmmaker is going to do these this writer this director they're going to end up doing really cool stuff because they know what they're doing and they but they their way in look there is a amazing horror movie called anything for jackson i don't know if you saw anything yes for jackson oh my the the one the hallmark guy did the guy like the christmas movie guy he well, he's not the Christmas movie guy. He was he wrote that script a long time ago, was trying to get it made, and then his friend was like, Well, this there's this hall not even like Hallmarks, like the Canadian version of Hallmark movies. Like, yes. They need a writer director, it'll pay money, and he's like, I gotta make money. And so his IMDB is like a dozen of these holiday Hallmark films, all of which got good reviews and people liked them. But he was sure. like, I gotta do what I gotta do before I Get my movie made. Neil Gaiman had to write, you know, um, bios for Duran Duran when he was coming up. You know, there's a mm-hmm. one of those the things that they, they, they like sell it at the concert, you know. Right. Well, he wrote that. So, you know, th- there's you got to work is work. You got to work until you can get your stuff out there. That's fine. So yeah. I just have a lot of when I hear someone going, well, we're trying to make a troll through. That could be some young filmmaker like I don't have any other way in. I got to do what I got to do. Hmm. And I kind of like that. You know, I love that. I mean, you know, Stephen King was publishing his stuff in Gent Magazine and, <laughs> you know, Crawdaddy and, and you know. Crawdaddy. <laughs> I mean, but it was just like that kind of, I got to, I just got to get published first. Yep. Got to get your work out there, man. Yeah. Is that yeah. like, I will sell when the New Yorker buys it from me. I am not selling. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. I am not. He's like, fuck off. Just fucking sell your shit, man. Never had a story in Piss Drinkers, though. I'll tell you that. <laughs> they're, oh my God, their editorial staff are just vicious. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. This is a great uh, segue, though, uh, into the title at hand, because I think the jaunt was published in one of those uh, uh, gentlemen's magazines. Uh, no, it was, yeah. it was, it, no, it was published in uh, the, the Twilight Zone magazine. Oh! Was June 1981, my babies. Damn. Yeah. And yeah. he consulted with um, Ben Bova, I believe, to get a lot of the technical stuff down. 
That is correct. I think yes. he actually consulted, much like Harlan Ellison consulted with old Bova for along the scenic route. If you if you want to if you want to do something technical, you talk to Ben. Ben, what do we do? <laughs> so now we're into your title, which is the John. This is a title that. Um, you know, we were very rigid with the formula early on with this show. It's got to be adaptations, but we, we've sort of lessened that over time. Yeah. You know, because we want the show to continue. And um, and uh, and we're leaving lots of gold on the table by by uh, there's still a few really great un, oh, unmade yeah. Stephen King stories out there. So oh, mm-hmm. we'll we'll get to them eventually. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the plot of this one, I just want to say that when we. We did that episode with, uh, who was it? David Lowry, director of the mm. Green Oh, Man. I and, love um, David. Yeah, it was, uh, we did an episode on uh, Revival with him and spent a lot of time talking oh. about the John out of that episode because as it turned out, he had written like a two-page outline for it, sent it to King just uh, once he found out the, the rights were available. But he couldn't commit to it for like 18 months or something. And so... Was he thinking uh, of it as a feature film? Yeah, he had it as uh yeah, he he's got like a blueprint for the movie. Was ready to do I it love- and it got a, it got approved, but it was like well, I can't commit to this for 18 months and then MRC swooped in, got the rights and now they're talking about doing it as a series. And on that episode I I talked a lot of shit about <laughs> I don't know how you could do this as a series and re rereading this one yesterday. I was like, there's so much shit going on in the margins of this story. I was, I, I got to eat some crow here. Cause I felt like, okay, I could, I could see how you could do this as an anthology thing. I don't think it would run for like five seasons, but there are stories here to, to I be told I mean, in this universe. Yeah. There are all the, th- the whole thing about the, the mafia using the jaunting process and yeah, that's yeah. like looper and shit, right? Yeah. Um, there's some looper stuff. Um, there's a, the horrifying thing about the, um, the the scientist who ties his wife up and throws her with jump ropes, with no jump less. ropes, and then turns off, t- sets everything else to no. So she's forever stuck in the jaunt. Is just mm-hmm. beyond horrifying for me. But you know, I, I and and again, I love David Lowry. So if anyone could turn it into, a, I don't even see how this would work as a movie. The, the, it it this thing's maximum impact is as this short story and you're left with that horrific ending and you're wondering you know what is in the jaunt and you ne- but you're never told it's like he created he created the star trek technology level of cthulhu it's the thing that you <laughs> actually can't see that drives you insane and it, to even look upon it is nuts Patton, would you be willing to lay out the general plot? Yes, uh, the general plot is we are in the not too distant future, where um, well, slightly distant future, where uh, a technology called the called jaunting, basically teleportation, has been invented. It has solved the world's fuel problems because now you can teleport supplies and stuff. Um, uh, the only resource left that, that really is valuable is water. Oil has. Oil, um, is, as it said in the um, story, is now treated as an amusement or a toy. And a family is about to, a successful um, businessman, I believe he's a water rights person, is about to jaunt him, his wife, his daughter, and son to a colony on Mars, an advanced colony on Mars, where they will, they will live for two years while the dad does a job and the kids go to school. And it'll be an adventure, and they'll come back to Earth. Uh, much like a... 
an oil speculator going to his family, we are going to Thailand for two years because I'm working on this project and it'll pay <laughs> us a lot of money and that's what we're going to do. And then we'll come back. Uh, the, the one thing about uh, jaunting is when you teleport, you must be asleep because if you're not asleep, your consciousness stays awake and your consciousness does not experience time the same way that you do. And you basically are conscious and floating in white blankness for billions, perhaps trillions of years. You then come out on the other side back in your body and you die of shock basically. Or as they say, some people just go permanently insane and, and you look weird. Your eyes are old, but your body is still the same. It's very creepy. While they're waiting to get their little shot of gas and go under the father tells the story of the invention of teleportation, which is just Stephen King at the top of his game, just great anecdotes and little characters. And th the same way that we talk about, um, you know, Thomas Edison would, would do this weird thing where he would work and then nap for 10 minutes and keep working like he hated sleep. And there's all the eccentricities of great inventors and all the little, you know, Alexander Graham Bell spilling acid on his hand and accidentally inventing the telephone. So there's a <laughs> lot of that little great detail. Um, and then also, like any great, great technology, and I forgot who did this quote, any great technology has its benefits, its horrific accidents, and then its evil uses. So, mm -hmm. for instance, you can invent an axe, which can chop wood to build a fire and warm you. You can also accidentally drop the axe and chop your foot off. You can also murder someone with it. So everything mm -hmm. has, and and just like that, the, the jaunting technology is used for good, for bad. So then he's done telling the whole story of the jaunt and how it works. The family gets their gases. They wake up to, as far as the father's concerned, seconds later on Mars. And then he looks over and his son, who he, who he realized, oh, was always this daredevil, faster on his slide board than anyone else, climbed the tallest trees, held his breath and did not take the gas because he wanted to see how long it was inside the jaunt. And he's now this insane, uh, white-haired, uh, ancient but 12-year-old, basically demonic crazed thing <laughs> who begins clawing his eyes out and then the dad starts screaming and we're done thanks Stephen. <laughs> it's it is legit one of the most disturbing things that uh, it, it a guy is, who has been labeled the master of horrors ever written and uh and and it did it, I, I reread it top five scary stories that he's ever written like no question genuinely like not just the shock of the moment but weeks afterwards, you're just sitting there thinking of this goddamn thing. You you think for longer than you think. Um, yeah, you, I reread <laughs> it, uh, re it going uh, into this, obviously, and and uh, you know this is a story I've read a dozen times at this point. Um, yeah, it's a real quick read. Uh, it's in Skeleton Crew, and uh, and I got to that section, and I got goosebumps again while reading it. I actually I'm, I have the the ending pulled up here. I want to read something very specific from it. Sure. He describes the this uh, twelve year old boy named Ricky as the thing that had been his son bounced and writhed on its jaunt couch, mm -hmm. a twelve year old boy who with uh, uh, with a now snow white fall of hair and eyes which were incredibly ancient and corny has gone sickly yellow. He, he describes him as a creature older than time masquerading as a boy, and there's just something about that that I instantly picture it. And it's also vague to me. I don't, I can't explain it. It's like a Jacob's ladder effect or something in my mind. Yeah. You know? he, he's really good at, at remembering that when you, when something's wrong with someone's eyes, it really stays with you. I remember in dance macabre when he's talking about first seeing the creature from the black lagoon, when he was a little kid, he kept going, it's eyes, those ancient eyes. 
there's something about, you know, we, we really look to other people's eyes for information, for connection and stuff. And when there's something that's going awry with that, it, especially for a little kid, that's mm. really startling. But then to put that horror in the face of a little kid, your son, who you still think you're going to have decades with as they grow. And now that son is millennia older than you and, <laughs> and hope and irretrievably insane. And like, it, it's just, again, also a lot of his, you know, he was a very loving and devoted father. And a lot of yeah. um, the trauma in his books come from loss of, of children. And this yep. is the ultimate loss because this kid loses childhood, but has to live knowing that their childhood is gone. Well, like it, 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 he loses eternity basically. Right. It, it reminds me of those photos that you can, you'll stumble upon sometimes where it'll be like, here's this 17 year old soldier in world war one before, yeah. you know, his tour and after. And it's like, that person's aged and you know oh, you God. can see the haunting in the eyes and the and deep set wrinkles around his eyes and stuff after like three months of, of being in hell there's yeah. a picture of a, a world war one soldier like you said probably like looks like he's 16 or 17 in the trenches and he's been like fighting for looks like it's like 28 hours and he has gone insane like his face he just he looks like the, the way that this kid would look it's a very famous picture. He's crouched down and he's got this yeah. huge smile. And his, I think I know. Just, yeah, he looks like the Joker, right? He yeah. looks like the Joker. It look, he's he he got Jokered basically. He's yeah, it's a shell shock. Insane. It's like the famous photo. If you like search for like shell shock or whatever, it's like a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh god, it's terrifying. I want to focus for a second on the world building of this mm. story, which I think is uncommonly good for King oh, at this yeah. point in his career. There's just so much shit happening like just to the side of what we're focused on in this story. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's probably his best overall short story. My favorite is still crouch end from mm-hmm. uh, nightmares and dreams games mm-hmm. full fucking Lovecraft, And I wish there was <laughs> yeah, a whole book of that. Here we oh, go. it's so fucking good. What, what do you think about crouch end real quick? I'm going to interrupt myself. Um, I love the fact that he puts like, like all great, um, uh, weird tale writers like like um, uh, F. Marion Crawford and um, mm-hmm. oh god who uh, who wrote the um, who wrote the clock and August Heat? God, he was mm. so good. They have people encounter the otherworldly that don't have maybe the language or the or the poetry to quite describe it, but in describing it more simply, it makes it scarier. So when the yes. guy is saying like. The world's like a basketball and some part, the little edges get rubbed and that's where this, you know, like, Oh fuck. Like that. Yeah. He's right. But it's such a crude way to describe otherworldly <laughs> cosmic horror that it makes it right. even scarier. It's yeah. so it precisely has ha- how two British cops might describe, yes. you know, a situation like yeah. this. And you know? in, a, in a weird way. And I mean, they kind of do this, it's they kind of make a joke of it in the Evil Dead films and Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Sometimes not being as well read and not being as poetic and not being as perceptive can save you when you bump up against cosmic horror. It's the pe- if you notice in Lovecraft, it's the people that are of the higher intelligences that just lose their shit because they're able to perceive <laughs> everything that's going on. But if you're just a British beat cop, you're like, oh, it's like a basketball, you know that. The saws get rubbed and the things get in. What are you going to do? Like that actually is, saves him in a weird way. That that makes him function better in the world. And there's something so beautiful about that. What's all this about then? Yeah. What's Blind all this? Pipers. 
Yeah. What's <laughs> your for the thousand young? <laughs> How's he dreaming if he's dead? Is if he's in the well, hang on, wait, no, hold on. He's in the city. He's having a dream, but he's dead. I think that's a typo, mate. I'm sorry. I, do, I think you, uh, I think you bunged that one up a little bit, right? I mean, it ain't half wrong there, right? <laughs> I'll start you out for a start. Like, it's just like, like, that's what saves him. My mum right. had a goat. It had 42 children. By the time of it, her back end looked blown out like the bottom of Fred Flintstone's car. Yeah. There's no way this one had a thousand. A thousand. <laughs> and what, he's living in the woods? I'll pull the other one there, mate. No. <laughs> where, where's he getting his food? I'm sorry, no. <laughs> I mean, God bless you. God bless you. I mean, I'm not saying you didn't see what you saw. But, you know, I think you'd add a few. And there you go. So, anyway. It's, it's your it's, kind of crouch hands. You know, which is can good. I just say this? And I don't want to, you know, no, old, no disrespect, but it's Sulu. He sounds a bit of a cunt. Is that all right? Me saying it. He sounds a bit of a cunt. There you go. Anyway, well, go on with your story then. So anyway, you open this. Shoggers. Then you open up. Shoggers. Now, okay, so you open up the. Yeah. Oh, shoggers. No, what I say to that? I say shoggers. It's all shoggers. Get out with that. Sorry about that. Anyway. <laughs> Yes, at the sound of Rob Zombie's mating call, it means it's time for our mid-roll ads. Once again, sponsored by the good folks at Athletic Greens and BetterHelp. Let's start with the former. We use Athletic Greens products literally every day here at KingCast HQ. I started taking Athletic Greens because, well, quite frankly, I could use the vitamins. Most of my <laughs> my diet is uh, straight vodka and uh, cereal. So, needed those. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's... It, you know, it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients. Uh, Athletic Greens has that. This stuff doesn't taste like it's super healthy either, which is also a bonus. In fact, it has kind of a mild uh, tropical taste that I actually look forward to each and every morning. So what is it? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things. It even supports mental clarity and alertness, which is definitely something I need while recording this show. Also, recommended by uh, pro athletes, not just podcast hosts. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into flu and cold season. It's cheaper than purchasing all the separate ingredients yourself and all for less than $3 a day. One scoop and a cup of water every time, boom, you're done. To make it very easy on you, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash kingcast. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash KingCast to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The next sponsor we want to talk to you about is BetterHelp. Now, this is not a crisis line, but rather a convenient way to access professional counseling, all from the comfort of your living room or wherever you choose to talk to your counselor of choice. Everybody needs someone to talk to, especially after the hellscape that's been the last couple of years. And BetterHelp is there to connect you to a licensed therapist in record time. That's right. Within 48 hours, you can be on the line with your therapist and you'll be able to message them directly at any point. If you don't jibe with a particular counselor, it's quick, easy and free to choose another professional 
BetterHelp's roster includes therapists that specialize in anxiety, stress, depression, sleeping issues. I certainly have those. Trauma, anger management, LGBTQ plus matters, self-esteem. Long story short, if you need help getting through anything, BetterHelp has an option for you. We all need a friendly ear at some point, and BetterHelp is here to make that happen. We want all of our listeners to live happier lives, and since BetterHelp is sponsoring the show, you can get 10% off your first month of services by signing up at betterhelp.com slash kingcast. That's betterhelp.com slash kingcast. And with all of that said, let's get back to the show. But the world building in the jaunt is is I, I I think next level for him. And I think it's as I said before, I think it's particularly worth commenting on. Like during an era where, as Patton mentioned earlier, he's he's writing for titty magazines, you know? He's yeah. he's delivering like top tier shit here. Eric, what do you what do you think about the stuff going on in the margins of this story? I I love it because there's a character reason for it. Um yes. and that's very specifically uh, he's using it to spark our imaginations the same way that it's sparking the imaginations of the 12 year old that's hearing the stories and yep. getting curiouser and curiouser <clears throat> about what's happening, you know, behind the tech and wanting to see it for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause by the time you're under, like you, you kind of want to know what's going on there too. Cause you keep hearing all these stories about like how the, the mice experiment that he, he did, the, the guy who created the jaunt did, where if it goes through head first, they come out insane and, and he like starts, he has the idea to put them in backwards and, and they're not insane, you know, while their legs are sticking out on the other end of the, <laughs> the jaunt thing, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's not until they fully go through and that's how he kind of figures out that they need to be asleep and to try that. He uses it in a way to like put you in the shoes of this kid who's about to turn into this this disturbing monster, you know, this, uh, this thing that's, that's, uh, both old and young and both that, that guy's son and something else. And it's like, he uses all that structure in a way to really give me those goosebumps. Like, I don't think I would have those without all the, that kind of colorful backstory. And the fact that we get it all from the father who, as you know, uh, I think both of you guys have, have touched on this already. Um, you know, he's just excited to like, I have this information and I'm going to share it. Like, you know, this yeah. is my fatherly time to, which any, to any father hearing. can yeah. connect with real. Oh, I, I told, you know, well, you know, you can actually go to the book depository. They'll let you go up and you can see where <laughs> right. that whole thing about, Oh, the splinter is in the Smithsonian or like he yep. really gets the whole, how we totemize history, little things that then be get blown up because they were part of this weird moment. The little splinters, I would imagine the pet store where he bought the mice has probably got some plaque on it. This is where the first mice were bought, the John experiments, you know, all that stuff. So because he says it in this very folksy anecdotal way, it actually feels like real history because it's a right. guy who is saying it the way he it felt like he watched an A&E biography about it. And then he's like, well, you know, like I've watched tons of biographies that Ken Burns sing about the Civil War, but I can't sit there and go... But in 1861, I was just like, well, in the early parts of it, there was this was going on. And then <laughs> right. the North was getting their asses kicked. And then they decided. So like we we always get this general thing of history. And then there's those weird things that stick out. Where you're like, And then one of the Confederate generals would ride around with a big thing of whiskey on his back. And he would just like drink mm-hmm. out of this tube. He was fucking nuts. Like those little, the more human moments you'll always remember. Like, I don't know. 
the I don't know the particulars of every Civil War battle, but I do remember that at the Battle of Bull Run, the um, Union guys got beaten so quickly that the Confederates got bored and started shelling the people that had gathered on a hill having picnics to watch the battle. People mm. would get rich. People would have picnics and would sit and watch these battles up on the hills. And the battle ended too early, and the Confederates said, well, I want to blow something up. And they started shooting at the people having a picnic, which is fucking <laughs> hilarious to me. <laughs> I, I, grew up, I, I grew up in Northern Virginia, and, and uh, the Bull Run High School was near me. I went to Broad Run, and I, and I, I, I had a friend that went to Bull Run. I said, you should call you guys as high school, Interrupted Picnic High School. <laughs> That's what it basically was. It was the world's most famous Interrupted Picnic. I love the I love the idea of a, like a a guy resplendent in his his Sunday attire sitting out on a battlefield with his beloved <laughs> with a picnic basket yeah. and enjoying a slaughter that only lasts yeah. very quickly and then a cannonball hits his fucking picnic basket. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. very good shit. But yeah, right all there. these little moments are you know, and and also the fact that um uh the the inventor of the jaunt ends up being this weird figurehead because he's kind of crazy anyway like that's his brain that that his insanity is what probably helped to make the leaps he had to make in order to invent the technology but right of course the of course government slash corporate interests will swoop in and go okay here's how it's going to go uh, it just I, I mean he gets he just gets everything right in this story it's so good it's so prophetic with what's going now what's mm -hmm. going on now like this same thing just you know there's there's probably kooks out there that are inventing stuff and then the the slick um front man comes in and just takes it and in fact we're now we're seeing the opposite of it now the weird the kooky outcasts the Elon Musks and the Jeff Bezos are like no I want to be the cool person and they right. like pay people to write cool tweets for them and I want to host SNL I want to be awesome it's like just be happy being brilliant you're 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 probably <laughs> not going to be and what's cool about you is that you're not cool also have to keep in mind that this is like the era that this is written. This is like the, the beginnings of the, the computer revolution, right? Like, so this, we're talking what early eighties is when this was published. Is that right? The initially, I know it was in skeleton crew, but 81. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the rise of, you know, the, the Silicon Valley, you know, people working out yeah. of their, their garages and shit and, and about to change the world. Yeah. I wonder how much but of that he... was on King's mind. Well, no, but, but because he think about it, if it was eighty one, he did this oh. in a pre MTV age. So mm. it, we weren't as upset. I mean, we're always we've always been obsessed with image in this country, but image became king. I, image ruled over all and over the next decade. So he still is writing in the thing of, oh no, you would get. He even mentions the Robert Heinlein story of you get the handsome front people to be out there and represent the, the um, whatever the company is and you don't, right. and, the, and the brains, you just shuffle that guy in the back. Like, let's not have that guy out front. <laughs> that has now changed where now the brainy people are aware of image making and how to act. And that is part of what they do. They spend money and time and brain power on that now, which might explain why a lot of our new technology is so wonky because we're mm. missing the era of the people going, I don't care about, how I look or going to parties. I want to invent something brilliant. You know, we're never right. going to have an Einstein again with fucked up hair. If we get another Einstein, trust me, he will have a very nice haircut. He'll have, <laughs> you know, bespoke suits. He'll make sure he looks good. Right. He'll be, have a man bun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hosted, um, of the, this video game award show, the year that video games really blew up and became 
an industry bigger than like the movie industry, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and suddenly these game designers were all like fresh millionaires. Usually they were just like writing code on the back of pizza boxes, wearing shorts and stuff. And then now they've all got their first bespoke suits on at this award <laughs> show. But they'd never worn a bes- – they thought like like a computer program, you put the suit on and it just works. So they've been sitting all night and moving around. And when they would go up to get their award, like one sleeve was up too high. Like during the evening, you need to adjust your suit, like shoot your cuffs and you know pull your um, the hem of your jacket down. And they hadn't learned how to do that yet. So it was kind of adorable. They're all in you know $1,000 <laughs> suits they had cut for themselves that looked horrifying because they didn't – no one had told them – during the eat, the suit is not a, a thing that you just hit run and then enter and it just works. You need to constantly adjust it as you move. And it was kind of, you know, so that was, again, another version of that thing of, oh, you know, they, they didn't quite understand image yet. Huh. I remember a thing from a few years ago where NASA had a some sort of big announcement to make. Mm-hmm. And they bring out this guy on camera who was like, you know, some sort of top level scientist or muckety muck like a guy who knew what the fuck was going on right yeah and he's in a a hawaiian shirt (laughs) and i remember people on twitter giving this guy a lot of shit about being in a hawaiian shirt and i'm like what do you fucking expect this to look like like (laughs) like of course of course this guy he wants to be comfortable at work let him let him enjoy his whatever amount of flair he wants to bring to this job have you been in a nasa building it's like a decommissioned fucking hospital it's but so even, depressing. In those even places. beyond that, it's like my brain is making, thinking massive thoughts. It's it's consuming huge spikes of calories. I am making right. giant leaps here. I actually probably don't think about what I fucking wear. Like if I had my <laughs> way, I would just put on – if someone could invent um, the clothing equivalent of Crocs, that's what I would wear so that I didn't have to think about what the fuck I'm wearing. I'm probably, he's probably wearing it because – it isn't tucked in. It's comfy, and it lets it frees his mind to do what the fuck he needs to do. Who gives a shit? Precisely. Speaking of inventing things, if <laughs> the jaunt technology were real, Patton, mm-hmm. would you would you go through with it, and would you be comfortable with your family doing it? I would. I mean, I would. Oh boy, because that's always been my my um my dream superpower would, would is no fault teleportation, teleportation where you could, cause yeah. it would think of, think of the life you could live hmm. if you could teleport. Uh, like hmm. I would, I would, I could jaunt to a show um, in hmm. London, jaunt back the same night, be, be asleep in my own bed. Hmm. You would be so much more healthy that the sky would be so much cleaner. You'd be able to move supplies around the world. I mean, I would want the jaunting technology to exist in terms of moving um, goods around to people and solving world hunger and, and ending pollution. But maybe what the maybe the underlying idea of the story is it's okay to move objects faster through hmm. space, but maybe we are maybe humans live at the pace and speed they do for a reason. Hmm. And maybe use the jaunting stuff to end wars and stop pollution um, and make the world more livable for people rather than just keep using up every world we get to. So we have to keep jaunting across the galaxy. Right. Yeah. Cause that, that's so. a big subtext of the story. Cause they talk about how the reason why oil isn't, isn't uh, all that precious. It's not that the environment's being benefiting from the jaunt technology, but the fact that we can go and mine in these other worlds and mine oil is just like, they're like, like we have an unending supply of that, but we, but it's water now that that's rare. For exactly. Us. Yeah. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, I mean, that's really interesting, but it's also when you think about it, like it's not all that big of a step. I mean, it it, it is, you don't get on an airplane and go insane if they don't have the cabin pressure. Right. 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 You know, but at the same time, you know, it's like the the arguments against it are the same as the arguments that, you know, were probably against it back in the day. You know, cause I shit, I remember reading stories about how people thought your face was going to rip off if if a car went over 55 miles per hour or something. that, That was a thing. Um, the fear of uh, when when locomotives started being made, uh, it was scientific. It was scientific fact that it was known that if the human body went moved over fifty miles an hour, uh, your like lungs would explode or something. You would die. <laughs> right. It was this thing, you know. So um, there's always that you know fear of. But I mean, in a weird way, even though the jaunt technology hasn't been invented, you can send your thoughts instantly around the world for everyone to see with Twitter and social media and. Look at all the harm. It's done a lot of good. Right. It's helped a lot of revolutions. It's also done a lot of fucking harm. It also brought back Nazis. It helped Nazis <laughs> find each other and realize they're not so alone anymore. So yeah. there's again, there's there's positive and negatives to everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you I mean, think I, social media is a net positive or negative? Uh, it's too. We're too young to tell yet. We're, we're, we're it's still too young. Um, we're we're watching the arc right now. Right now, it's still feels like a net positive in terms of representation and more marginalized voices getting heard and seen. However, some of those marginalized voices maybe need to be marginalized. They maybe they needed to stay marginalized. And you know what I mean? Like the white supremacists, the anti the hate speech. Yeah, the hate speech, all that shit. Um so but we will The French. I get you. The, the people who like the original trilogy, those <laughs> they needed to be. But yeah, so like we don't know yet. It's too young. We are still in its infancy, unfortunately. Um, I am again. I'm always an optimist. I'm hoping that there'll be a net positive, even if we have to go through a negative for a while. I mean, look, there was a um, huge net positive when petroleum came, with people being able to drive around and have freedom and fly through the air. Then there was a huge negative, which the pollution was a nightmare. Uh, but then people started to be aware of that. And we're, we seem to be going towards trying to fix that, maybe moving towards. So maybe there are positives we can't see that we have to go through huge negatives to get to. Right. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what? I'm trying to be positive. It's just hard to be. <laughs> yeah, 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 I disagree. I strongly disagree. <laughs> I think we're already at net negative. <laughs> but um, yeah. But I admire your positivity. I I, I aspire to it. Uh, I'm incapable of it. Yeah. Hey, I'm a, hey dude, I'm, who isn't these days? <laughs> on a selfish level, it's been nothing but, I mean, not nothing. Obviously, everybody's who's put themselves out there. You know, I fuck, I had a Batman tweet where I was just like, I really like that car chase. And that got like, retweeted into oblivion or something and and it and of course you know suddenly i'm i'm being harassed by people are like no it's actually dumb and you're stupid fuck you you know and it's like you getting those little little jabs that happens but you know uh, just for our very specific niche you know even as a uh you know when i went freelance and and all that stuff like i i got i get most of my work off of shit that I comment on Twitter, you know, than I, than I do from being in, in the blogging industry for 20 years. You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's a really, I don't know. I've been, I've been in touch with some of my, like literally some of my heroes on Twitter. There are, there are people that, that we follow each other that, um, you know, like I would take a bullet for this, this entertainer. You know what I mean? Like, like fucking like uh, Trent Reznor is a good example. 
right would take a bullet for for trent reznor no question that man's music has has changed my life i'm fucking i'm into it shoot me right in the fucking face i would not have had that opportunity and and to be able to talk to him directly sometimes if it were not for say twitter Um, i wonder if that was cool but that's like personal shit that's that's not helping anyone i I wonder if that reduces the effect of the art if you have access to the artist like part of the mystique of like a Bowie is you couldn't just drop him a DM and go. So wait, <laughs> does so does, does does the band kill Ziggy or does he like have an overdose or like you <laughs> would talk? It, it was more about making connections with other people about the art rather than going just right back to the artist and go. What does that mean? You, you know what I mean? Right. So, well, I mean now now again, I'm, I would never. The fact that I can DM Stephen King whenever I want to is it, it just astounding <laughs> to me. Um, but have you but, have you DM'd him before? Oh yeah. Yeah, we damn about stuff, but, but what are you I would never. About? What are you? I, what are you? What are you girls getting just, into? Just things of uh, movies that we recommend to each other. I'm like, hey, dude, you should surely check this out, or you know. But I never would. I would never ask him about like, hey, this scene. What like? I I don't want right. to know. I want. I like the questions and the, and especially the unanswered stuff that he sparked in my imagination. I appreciate that more than ever. If if I never got to talk to him again, but I'm still left with the way that his writing made me grow and made me question things. That is so much more valuable than just, I mean, look, I was friends with Harlan Ellison, you know, Mm -hmm. at the end of his life. And I would go over to his house and, you know, break out the Ritz crackers and we'd eat Ritz crackers and drink coffee and talk about stuff. But there were certain things I would just, I didn't want to get too much into because I'm like, I just want that. I don't want to know about that. Don't tell me. I, I have my own ideas about that. Or here, here's something. My but you're playing memoir. it cool. I mean, that's I'm the not, thing. No, because inside I'm like, but I, <laughs> but, but also I just, I, I'm at an age where I realize that sometimes the art is more valuable than the person that creates it in a, in a lot of, of ways. Of course it is. Of um, course it is. I remember uh, in my first memoir, I, there's a chapter about the summer that I worked in a uh, ticket booth at a, at a movie theater. And so I, there, and I was listening to REM's Fables of the Reconstruction obsessively. So I had those lyrics are in the chapter through a friend. We, when I did the audiobook, I was like, Hey, could you ask Michael step if he would read these lyrics? So he read the lyrics in my audiobook, And when, when I sent him the lyrics that I ex- excerpted, he was like, Hey, you know, half of these are wrong. These aren't, these aren't the right lyrics. And I was like, Oh God. He goes, no, no, no. That's how you heard it. And that affected you. Once a song goes out there, I don't get to control it anymore. I actually like mm-hmm. that you interpreted it your own way. Even if you misheard it. That's mm-hmm. valuable. Like, I just, I don't know. There was something kind of beautiful about that. Totally. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> net negative, though, because, <laughs> you know, because Nazis and Here fucking. Here comes Mr. Sour Pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just not. I, I, I think that cumulatively, I don't think we were meant to have this this level of interaction. And yeah, so well, I'm, right, I'm well, very wary. I will agree with you that right now we are definitely in a net negative right yeah, oh, now. Yeah. But again, um, uh, it's that old, uh, I believe it's a Chinese proverb, the whole we'll see. Well, oh my God, your, your <laughs> son broke his leg. That's horrible. We'll see. And then, uh, oh, your son broke his leg. He couldn't be constructed in the army. That's so great. We'll see. Like things just keep changing. So right now, yes, it's a net negative, but we'll see. 
I think I, I mean, so much of it's what you make of it and, you know, what, what you allow it to have power over you and, and all that stuff. But there, it's unquestionable that, you know, the internet on the whole, uh, if you take like Twitter out of it and if you just look at Facebook, for instance, it's like that to me is absolutely, you know, obviously been something that's kind of caused brain worms in so oh, many people God, yeah. and, and all that. You know, I don't know what going but back luckily, to the John, Facebook is so yeah. become an old boomer thing. Like most right, Gen right. Z people are off Facebook because, because their parents aren't showing up. They're like, Oh, goodbye. And, and yep. Facebook is such yep. a wasteland now. Like I, I, I have a page under a pseudonym that I talk to my friends with, but then I realize, but I just talk to my friends normally. I don't need, so all right. I have, I just have a page that advertises my shows. No one can send messages. It's just, here it is. You know, I don't, there's no point in, and eventually that what that's what Twitter and, um, uh, Instagram will become, but Facebook is is paying the price for greed and for the whole. We cannot neglect any revenue stream, no matter how evil it is. Mm, you know, right? No, you mm-hmm. need to actually maybe be picky about where your money's coming from because this is where it ends up. Right. Teleportation technology would obviously be you know world changing, mm-hmm. reality yes. changing. Reality, I'm yeah. wondering if you could put your Nostradamus hat on for for just a second. Do you have any um, predictions on what our, our next level of world changing technology is. I am you now know. at the age where I'm comfortable saying I do not know. And that I also am very comfortable knowing that it will come as a surprise to everyone who's trying to predict what the next thing will be. <laughs> and yeah. I know that. And that's actually kind of, I feel very comfortable saying that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I don't know. Like thinking about it, it, it would have to be something like a teleportation yeah. thing right well actually no i i take it back i think that what we're going to see and we're seeing little pieces of it now in the wake of the um the mrna vaccinations is we're i think we're about to see a giant leap in medical uh, well, especially medical in terms of like genetic yeah. modification and um uh uh personal custom luxury genetic modification might be the next thing but I, again i it, mm. Saying that, it'll be something that I'm completely missing that'll take <laughs> right. my surprise. So, Patton, now's the time for you to kind of plug what you got going on. Uh, I'm excited whenever your foot gets better to see you when you come through Austin. So, uh, I know you're on your comedy tour. Uh, well, if you want to plug that, you if you want to plug anything else. Because yeah. uh, if you're listening to this, the day that it drops, uh, I am going to Austin tomorrow, but for South by Southwest. I have a film there, a new movie called I Love My Dad, and that's premiering on Saturday the 12th at the Alamo. Uh, and there'll be other screenings during the weekend. I'm not doing shows that weekend, but I will be in Austin uh, uh, for South by Southwest. Um, I will be in Austin uh, June 18th at the Paramount if you want to come see me then. Um, and then closer to home, of course, next weekend, the 18th and 19th, I will be at the Savings Bank Music Hall in Troy, New York, followed by the Asbury Hall in Buffalo, New York, the 18th and 19th. Love the Asbury Hall. Yeah, go get your uh, tickets. Well, thank you so much for for coming on, man, and and for finally giving us an excuse to talk about one of my favorite Stephen King stories. Oh, guys, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. We'll hopefully get you back at some point. You got it, man. Many thanks to Patton Oswalt for joining us finally on the show. I think that uh, we can pull the curtain back just a little bit and say that like Patton was one of the earliest people we reached out to when we started the show. And it's uh, much like Stephen King himself. It took a long time to find uh, a hole in the schedule to, to make it work, but we're glad he finally did. And I can't imagine a, a better 
person to have followed up the king himself. Mm-hmm. We just literally had to wait until he was completely immobilized and could stop working. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I paid Tanya Harding to break his foot, so <laughs> yeah. But we definitely appreciate Patton coming on the show, and you know he's one of the smartest guys. Like it's it's kind of crazy when you think about just like how well he can break down movies and and uh, and stories and and mm-hmm. stuff, and how just easily that that comes to him when you consider just. We we just thought he would be a fun funny guest, but I guess we should have known. I, I've read his uh, his memoirs, and, and that dude's got a real keen uh, intellect oh, yeah. on, on the on real this sharp, stuff. as well Love as being funny well. and goofing off with uh, whatever the hell impressions you guys were doing for like thirty minutes. Oh, well, the uh, British Bobbies! Oh, <laughs> yes. trying to deal with trying to deal with Lovecraftianism. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, I wish we had had more time with him, but he is a busy man. And uh, fortunately, though, I think that does leave us with a lot of room to explore the jaunt further. Um, mm, for sure. And I will I would not be surprised if you see that title turn up uh, a couple more times before this this show runs its course. Yeah, it, it doesn't escape me, by the way, that uh, uh, all of the, the Stephen King titles that have kind of like we become known for for pimping are the ones that have the most fucked up endings. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's well, like we have a brand to maintain. So let's do between revival and the jaunt. We're we're just here to ruin everybody's day. Is all. <laughs> yes, indeed we are. Ooh. Speaking of which, what is uh, what's coming up next Wednesday? Next Wednesday, we are journeying once again into the corn. We are revisiting Children of the Corn. The uh, I think the focus on this one was you know was a little bit more on the story and. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that original movie. So we're not getting into urban harvest territory right. here, but uh, when the guests and guests, plural, we get a, a twofer on this one chose this title. Yeah. We wanted here. to hear these folks talking about that title. That was Absolutely. Not a hard sell. And what a fucking blast. These two uh, were to talk to just a delight and a uh, very funny episode. I think yeah, and- extremely entertaining this <clears throat> next week's uh, it definitely falls within the, the highly entertaining side of, of the King cast for sure. I don't know how to tease the guests without like completely blowing the cover on it. So I'm just going to say it's uh, two people. I think you'll be excited to hear from who are part of the horror community. Yes. And so that brings us to our Patreon episode this Friday. Scott, do you want to fill the listeners in on what to expect for the Patreon bonus episode this Friday? So a while back, one of our, our listeners was uh, tweeting about the utterly insane, very capricious, untrue, as if it needs to be said, urban legend that this one guy has been spreading for many decades now that Stephen King was involved with the assassination of John Lennon. And when I say involved, I mean, this person actually believes that uh, Stephen King assassinated John Lennon. Um, one of our former bonus app guests asked to um, or seemed very interested in it and seemed to want to take that ball and run with it. Both Eric and I have sort of always been aware of this going on, but not really up to date on the particulars of it. So uh, our guest is Gory Corey, very young horror fan who appeared on the show once before to tell us what Gen Z thinks of Stephen King. She went the extra mile in her investigation. I was so (laughs) impressed with uh, Gory Corey's work here. She was actually trading phone calls with this dude at a certain point, which we did not advise, nor would we have advised. Uh, But she was really, really interested in like trying to get to the bottom of like where this guy's head is at. It's a pretty fascinating episode to hear what she 
uncovered during this. And also you will get to hear Eric get very, very, very mad uh, <laughs> just by just by talking about this subject. So it, it's pretty entertaining itself. Right. Conspiratorial thinking is kind of one of my triggers anyway. And then uh, the more and more we dug into the psychosis behind this theory, the the more pissed off I got during this episode. But it's definitely something that's a curiosity within the, the Stephen King world. And King himself has mm-hmm. di- directly addressed this person. And uh, yeah, and all we get into all that. We get into conspiracy thinking. We get into how harmful that is, how dangerous that is. And um, it's a highly different kind of bonus episode. Like last week, you got Insomnia, which... With Kyle Buchanan, it, it was a great episode. It was like just a regular main feed episode. This one's one of our hyper focused, like, yes. weird, shining a light in the like <clears throat> weird, dusty, dark, cobwebby corner of the the Stephen King uh, sandbox that we call this world. So yeah, so we got that this Friday, and then next week we have Children of the Corn with two very extremely entertaining guests. Indeed. Uh, See you then, folks. Bye.